we can defend our Lord. It's good to do what God says to do. It's even better to know why you do that. And so today we're going to look at this question. Why do you do what you do when it comes to worship service? The internal combustion engine. Tax laws. Computer programming and electrical and plumbing work. What do they all have in common? I don't know much about it. And if you want to carry on an intelligent conversation about any of those areas of life, you need to speak to someone else. Because I am not your guy. Here's what I know about cars. Put gas in them. Crank them gut. Here's what I know about tax laws. Where's Jim? That's what I know. Here's what I know about computer programming. Where's Tim? That's what I know. Uh, electrical work, plumbing work, I know how to turn on the light and use the restroom. And that's really as far as those things go. I, I don't have any background, and I hate to say it this way, but I'm going to say it this way. I don't have any desire in knowing anything about those. I should. I really should, but I, I just don't. Sometimes, those around the world and who would seem to be religious and even those who would want to be religious have kind of that same idea when it comes to the formalized worship service of the Lord. It just sort of happens the way it always happens and I don't need to know anything further than that. Oftentimes asked by our children or even by our friends who just don't know. This is the question. Why do you guys do this or that when you meet? Or even why do you guys not do this or that when you meet? Sometimes we answer that question, I don't know. And that should be through our shame. Sometimes we ask, answer that question, well, let me ask Michael or Billy, which should be to our shame. Sometimes we answer that question, that's how we've always done it, that's how we do it, and, and that's how you should expect it. And that also should be to our shame. Turn over to, to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6. There's a principle given to the Israelites by God and that principle, at least in theory, should be adopted by us as parents and as grandparents. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 7, 8, and 9, the nation of Israel is told that when you have children, that you are to teach them when they rise up, when they go to bed, when they're walking in the way, when they go by the post, when they do this, when they do that, make sure it's ever before their eyes. You see the principle there? The principle there is teach your children and those around you what you're doing in service to the Lord. The answer should not ever be, I don't know. Especially if I'm a Christian, I know what I'm doing and why I'm doing those things. I should be able to defend that. You know, the, the direct command that was given to the nation of Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 6 fell apart by Judges chapter 2 and verse number 10. 
Judges chapter 2 and verse number 10, we'll read, There arose a generation after the death of Joshua that knew not the Lord and followed after whatever, just whatever they wanted to do. It fell apart. Mine would fall apart. Because a couple of reasons. One, no one was being taught. Two, no one was able to answer the question. Why do you do this? Why do you do that? Why do you not do this other? Well, let's answer that question today. Let's make sure that when our children, our friends ask us why we do what we do, uh, maybe we can give them an answer. We'd rather defend our faith from the context of the New Testament rather than pretend like we have some kind of faith that's based realistically in that. So as we find ourselves looking at that, we need to begin by looking at how laws are given to mankind through the Bible. Number one, laws are given to mankind by God through direct command. Matthew chapter 7, verse number 1. You know that, that verse very well. Judge not, lest you be judged. In verse number 2, for with what measure you meet shall be met in you again. Verse 3, behold there, as your brother there, you have that big gigantic log in his eye, and you have a speck of dust, and you're trying to give his log out, or your, his speck of dust out while you're looking around your log. Does that verse tell us not to judge? No. You couple that with John chapter 7, verse number 24, we're supposed to judge righteously, that is, uh, against what God's law says, but the command there is given directly. You judge not unless you want to be judged in that same fashion. And so in Galatians chapter 2, or rather 6, in verse number 2, there is a, uh, a, a an idea of inference given there. Here it is, Galatians chapter 6 and verse 2. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. But which burdens? Any of them? Are you all right? Everybody awake? Which burdens? All of them? None of them? Some of them? Well, bear ye one another's burdens. That means the inference there is all of those. To help someone uh, continue to follow after Christ. Here you have Nathan on the side of uh, Airport Road here, and all four of his tires have gone flat at the same time. And I write behind him, well, if you get some help, <clears throat> they're going to be okay. Oh, that's not bearing the burden. That's, I don't even know what we do if all four of your tires are, are flat. We'll find out something, but we'll take you somewhere. We'll, we'll get something done, won't we? Bear you one another's burdens. And then by example, you have 1 Corinthians chapter 5. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, you may have the most compelling and the most disturbing incident happening within a local congregation family within the Bible. What's happening there in Corinth is a member of the church there has his father's wife. Now, I'm going to hope, hope against hope that that would be his stepmother. If it is not, now we have an extra gross situation. <laughs> because then he has taken his own mother as his wife. 
there. You, you have some point in time, we got to cut that, that, that yeast out of this lump. Know you not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Don't you know that it, even when a little bit of sin gets in there, that it begins to grow and spread over the entire congregation? That's the example. Like, you got to get him out. You got to get him out. Imagine you go to the oncologist and he says, Mr. Davis, I don't think he's coming to Mr. Davis. You have a problem. And you have a mass. You don't have to front of me. Just leave it there. It's going to hurt anybody. Right? No. My next response would be the same response that you would have. Can we do this about five minutes ago and get this out? It's the same example and idea given in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. You're going to have to cut out the infected area so it doesn't infect the entire congregation. You know in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 they do that? In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that brother comes back. An interesting idea. What an interesting idea. God gives us direct command. He gives us inferred commands that we can read it and understand what he's trying to tell us. He also gives us examples of things that we're supposed to do. So, when we look at our worship service, we either find our five acts of worship given in command, inference, or attack. Now, let's start at John chapter 4 and verse number 24 as we look and dissect what we do. There in John chapter 4, John would write and Jesus would be speaking and say, God is a spirit. And they that worship him must, underline that if you write your Bible, must, M-U-S-T, here are the requirements, must worship him two ways, in spirit and in truth, with the proper attitude, which is 50% of it, and the proper action, which is 50% of it. We can have the greatest attitude in the world and do the wrong things and not worship God. The converse of that is we can do all the right things and have the worst attitude in the world and not worship God. And so you and I have to understand that what we are doing here is regulated by God, but it's also regulated by God here. And we're going to deal with the actions this morning, and this evening we're going to deal with the mindset. So, if you were thinking, should I come back? The answer is yes. Come on back. Let's look and dissect what we do and what we've done so far. First of all, we have prayed, haven't we? A couple of times at least. Maybe more than that, I hope. For what reason? Well, here are about one-fifth of the verses, and I didn't want to take up a whole bunch of slides, but here are about one-fifth of the verses found in the New Testament on why a child of God should pray. And I'd like for you to look at it in the idea of a relationship. And look at it this way. A good, healthy relationship between a husband and a wife, or between friends, or between uh, uh, even uh, workers, co-workers, or bosses and workers. A good, healthy relationship deals with communication. It, it is predicated on that. If I'm working for Scott and Scott wants me to do something, you know what you need to do? Tell me. Right? Oh, yeah. And 
if Miss Brandon has a problem, which uh, you, I know that you know that never happens in our house. Right? Okay. If Miss Brandon has a problem and I don't know what it is, you know what I ask her? What's wrong? And then she tells me what's wrong, and then we can fix that. We can repair those things. That that conversation must go two ways, and yet we don't look at that in the same context when we talk about God. Let's let's do a quick poll here. I'm going to give you the opportunity to raise your hands. How many of you want to have a good, healthy, working relationship with God? Good. That's the right answer. <laughs> what are you doing in the communication side? <laughs> Many times we look at prayer as if it is a last-ditch effort or a nuclear weapon, and we only use it when we, when we have to. We have such a, a misguided idea of what prayer is. I don't want to tell God about that. Why? You don't think He already knows? You're talking with God here. Why are you doing the worship service? Well, because worship service is part of our life, number one. But number two is because it's a commandment. It's commanded by God that we as His family meet together and we all speak to Him and we're guided in that prayer by one. And it's probably necessary that you and I pay attention if we want to say amen to the end of that as if I agree with that. Because I'm going to get up here and pray something crazy and you may have to say, I can't agree with that. Why do we pray in worship service? Because it's commanded. We don't look at uh, Matthew chapter 5 and see that prayer that was an example given by Jesus. You know the one begins, uh, our Father who art in heaven? No. You look at Mark, uh, John chapter 17 and see how he prayed for his disciples and his apostles who were there. And then for us. Later on in that chapter. If Jesus felt the need to pray to God, shouldn't I? Well, if we don't move on, we're not going to move on. Look at the reason why we sing. All of these verses that are found on this slide are is every verse in the New Testament that deals with singing and worship. Every single one of them. With the exception of this one that's written in life. Matthew chapter 26, you see Jesus praying. In Mark chapter 14, you see Jesus praying before he went out on the Mount of Olives. In Acts chapter 16, you see Paul and Silas praying. In Romans chapter 15, you see the church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, you see that we should sing with the understanding. Ephesians chapter 5, Colossians chapter 3, you see that we're commanded to sing. In Hebrews chapter 2, we're to sing with the congregation. In James chapter 5, is he married? Let us sing. Why are we to sing? Because God requires it and commands it nine times. Is, is a thing important if God would say it once? Check it this way. What if he says it nine times? Let me ask you this. Why then, Richard, did you put this up here if it doesn't have to do with singing? Well, Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 15 has this phrase in it. I know it's not singing. But if you'll let me stretch it out just a little bit, I'll give you a tenth reason. We're to worship God with the fruit of our lips. The fruit of our lips. What is that? 
There can be a myriad of things, and one of those things in there is sin. That's why we sing when we get together. That's why we pray when we get together. Oh, but then there is a giving. Nowadays, we do not pass a basket to rent. Maybe when everything calms down and we begin to uh, have a good idea of what's going on with the virus, maybe then we'll go back to what used to be our rule. But now, now we, we are benefited in the same way as we leave our collection and as we leave the facility. In those same baskets, giving those same things unto God. First Corinthians chapter 1, verses 16, verses 1 and 2 tells us how and why. Tells us on the first day of the week. It also tells us that we are to give how we have prospered. And though that particular phrase has been taken over the years and twisted by some who don't want to give any and say, well, I didn't think I prospered too much this week, right? But if you look at this phrase and look at the, the line of thinking this way, how much is good health for How much is living in this country or a free society work? How much is your job worth? How much is your family worth? Really, how much have you profited this week? You see the idea of sowing and reaping in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9 that if a man sows a little bit, he's only going to get a little bit back. Let me tell you how much I have sown in a garden this year. None. You know what I expect to get back? A lot. Without this, we still have a job. 
In Romans chapter 1 and verse number 16, Paul mentions this idea of preaching the gospel. And he says, For I am now ready to preach the gospel to them that are also, also, for it is the power of God unto salvation. To Jew first and also to Jew. Notice this phrase, it is the power of God unto salvation. First of all, could God have chosen any other thing to save mankind other than preaching? Alright, this is a 50-50 shot. It's either a yes or a no. You think he could have he chosen any other thing? He could have chosen every other thing. But the fact of the matter is that he chose what in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 would be called the, the foolishness of preaching to save mankind. He could have chosen anything. He could have said, all right, you've got to get seven ducks and they all have to do right and they all have to do left hand, left left wing. What would we would consider the human world would be left-handed? You think you can find a left-handed duck? You might find seven of them if you want to be saved by God and read that plan. But what he chose was preaching, and it is the power, the one and only power of God to save man. As you look through those particular scriptures in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 through 20, Jesus said, you know the Greek in Mark chapter 16 and 15 and 16, he said, you preach unto all those preachers. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 11, here's the reason why. The reason why in its entirety found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is this. Therefore, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. You say, what does that have to do with anything, preacher? You take a man or mankind and don't teach him the law of God and the plan of God and where he's headed. He's headed to hell. He's headed to see the terror of the Lord. And because you and I know both the terror and the righteousness and the holiness of man of God. We persuade men to choose righteousness instead of terror. That's why I must preach. That's why we should all preach. Well, then there is the memorial that you and I uh, had an opportunity to take up earlier. First Corinthians chapter 10 and 11, and also Luke 22 and Matthew chapter 26 and Mark chapter 14 all give us that institution of that memorial. Where Jesus took those Passover implements, prayed over them, first passing through this unleavened bread, and saying, All of y'all eat this. This is my body. I know he didn't use all of y'all, but he kind of did. And then in, as he takes that cup of juice, he passes that through and says, all y'all drink of it. This is my blood that the New Testament is set in stone by and by which that new covenant will happen. That memorial, you and I have an opportunity to think of the Christ who died on that hill according to Hebrews chapter 11, or 13 rather, verse number 7, outside of the gates of Israel for me. 
I have an opportunity every week to remember how valuable I am in the eyes of God. And he can send his son for me. In Acts chapter 20 and verse number 7, we're told that that happened on, there, on the first day of the week. Which week? Right? It's just the first day of the week we can pick any of them, right? Well, let's think about this. We did that this week, and in about seven more days, the first day of the week's going to roll around. Should we do it then, too? This one's softball. This is the answer. Check it this way. Yes. It, it, it was not necessary for God to say, I want you to do this on every single first day of the week. Because when he said first day of the week, he excluded every other time. New Testament church of her conception. In Acts chapter 2, you can go ahead and grab a Bible and turn over. Acts chapter 2. You'll see that she did these exact same things in verse number 42 and in verse number 47. Now for, for time restrictions, we won't read it all. We'll start after uh, 3,000 or baptized and are saved by God. And we'll read verse number 42 and they continue to pay those who were just baptized and those who are members of the church, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, in breaking of bread, and in prayer. That is, the apostles' doctrine, preaching, teaching, fellowship, in uh, giving of their means, in breaking of bread, in the memorial, and in prayers. And you say, preacher, that's just four. Ha-ha! I told you we didn't have to do all of them. You are correct. Within chapter 2, in verse number 42, there are only four mentioned. We're down five verses in verse number 47. Here's the phrase. Praising God. There's 50. And it just starts right out and says, uh, Praising God and having faith in God's people. And the Lord added to the church those that were being saved. Am I part of the New Testament church? Was that their path? Why do I do the things that I do in worship? Why do you do the things that you do in worship? Brethren, if, if we are simply coming here and, and doing those things just because that's how it has always been done, or just because that's how we feel comfortable with it being done, or even because we're doing that because we have a talent toward this or that, if we're doing those things because we want to give God our best, <coughs> we're doing it for the wrong reason. Here's what I understand about the movement, at least in here, and several others I know. We have within our groups some talented musicians. Just give him what he wants. That's what he wants. 
He wants to see it. He wants to pray. He wants for us to remember the sacrifice of Jesus the Christ and learn how to give the way He gives. He wants us to study His Word and to teach and to preach that throughout this world that is lost and dying. That's what He wants. Doesn't seem like a lot. Doesn't seem like too much. That's what He wants. We really should not have started this sermon by asking the question. What is it that we do in worship? Even though worship is a collective uh, group of saints, do you know why you do what you do in worship? If the answer is, well, I've got a vague or a pretty good idea, somebody, sometime, is going to ask you, And it's going to be necessary for you to defend your faith. Can you tell them why you do what you do? Why do you sing? Why do you pray? Why do you give your needs? It deals with 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 15. You and I should be ready always to give an answer to those that ask us of the hope Not just answer a question. When they ask you why do you do this or that in worship, they say, what is the hope of doing that within worship? Why would you, why would you do this aside from doing these other things? The hope is I follow what God's regulated plan is for mankind, and that hope leads me to an eternal home in heaven. So when they ask me about worship service, what they're asking me is, how can I follow you that? Aren't you ready to give those answers? We should be. We really should be. I hope it is that you have answered the question that God would ask all of mankind, and that being, would you not follow me? I hope you have answered that correctly. But if you have not, you can this morning. You can through hearing and belief. You can through repentance and confession and being baptized. You can be added to the church for which Jesus Christ gave his blood. According to Galatians chapter 4 and verse number 5, you can be a joint heir with Jesus today. If you'd answer that first question, and if you have, the next question you have to answer is, am I faithful in that? The answer is no. The brother says, we're waiting on you to come back home. And God is waiting on you to come back home. Why don't you do that while we stand and sing?